the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Kentucky braces for more flooding, and later, how can Christians keep up hope amid bad headlines? We're Will listening Smith to the finally responds to that slap, and later we're talking about seven relatable struggles. You're listening to the Common Good. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my special guest co-host. Catherine McNeil. It's good to have you back, Catherine. I am thrilled to be back. We want the one you call McNeil. We demand McNeil. We love having you with us on this Monday afternoon. In fact, Brian Fromm is on vacation for the next several days. So we've got Catherine with us, not just Monday, not just Tuesday, not even just Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but we have her Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday. This is the Catherine and here on the common good this is pretty fun it absolutely is and i was here last friday it's a Man, whole week this is a whole week of Catherine and aubrey i love it i love it I just Brian, live here now. Watch out. yeah um that's right you just live here at the studio with us uh well Catherine, i hate to do this to you on a monday afternoon your first show of the week but this is kind of the reality of what it is to live in the world today and to yeah. do a Talk radio show today. Devastating news in Kentucky. The The flooding has been horrendous. At least 28 people have been killed it's as terrible. a result of the flooding, but the number is mm-hmm. most certainly higher. At least that's what reports are showing. And the governor of Kentucky is beginning to warn people that more flooding will come. And so mm. it looks like wow. the casualties, the destruction is just going to um, uh, just continue to pile up. And I, you know, Catherine, these are the kind of stories that just for everyone, they're hard to make sense of. Yes. Um, or I, they're hard to wrestle with, right? I, you know, we understand that like natural disasters are for, are for whatever reason, depending on where you stand, they're either a good part of ecology that does the work that needs to happen hmm. or their their brokenness of this world. You know, people have different points of views on that. But either way, lives are lost. Children are lost. Right. Uh, uh communities are destroyed there's you know you can't wrap a pretty bow around that and say well absolutely not absolutely not yes absolutely uh there's no there's no place for philosophizing when the tragedy is underway that's something we can do later but this is just purely devastating absolutely that's that's such a good word there's no place for philosophizing i think that's right i think that's right or politicizing which i think oh absolutely absolutely So I, I I bring that up because Relevant Magazine has some really good tips on remaining hopeful in the midst of all of these bad headlines. Oh. Um, and, you know, everything from the war in Ukraine to uh, plane crashes to this type of devastation hmm. in Kentucky, you know, we're, we're surrounded by this type of news. We can't get away from this type of news. And I think especially for the Christian, but really for all humanity, how do you kind of keep up hope and how do you kind of keep going 
in the middle of all of these devastating stories, especially when they seem to just come at you again and again and again and again. And and look, we, we're recognizing we're even separate, right? Because we're talking about flooding in Kentucky. We're not necessarily impacted no, by it. Absolutely. And so, so imagine, okay, we're having to process it, but for the people who are actually involved, how they have to process it. So oh, devastating. So devastating. So one of the things that um, they say over at Relevant, this is an article by Aaron McNeely, is the first thing is this, allow yourself to feel it. I think this is really, really important. It's okay to feel grief and anger when we're confronted by atrocities in the world. Lament and mourning are a proper response to suffering. And there will be days when we feel the weight more acutely than others. I think that's so true. Absolutely. You know, Actually, Aubrey, you and I were talking about this just last week, and I, I know that your listeners aren't just hanging on our every word every single day, but <laughs> uh, we were unpacking the fact that we aren't going to be able to process devastating, yeah. traumatic, even small sadness if we yeah. aren't willing to be honest about it and mm-hmm. say, you know what, kind of dialogue with our, our grief and our anger and say, this has happened and this is how I feel about it. It doesn't mean that we stay there, but we have to at least start there. You have to at least start there and allow yourself. And I, and I think, you know, like you said, you can't stay there, but I think the alternative is just sort of growing numb and not mm. even allowing yourself to process or feel these stories. And I don't think that's right either. Like I do think, especially for the Christian, we're called to enter in and empathize and intercede and right. those things demand that the grief is felt, right? And, and Absolutely. again, you don't have to live in it, but you can't it's unfair, I think, to just ignore it or grow numb to it. I think that should be a check in your spirit in one sense. Yeah. If we're not dealing with it, I think we tend to either get so bogged down by it that we can't function, like you're saying, or else we put kind of a naive, like, oh, everything's going to be fine face mm. to it. And neither of those makes us effective. Mm. But Aubrey, the article goes on to suggest, after we allow ourselves to feel it, that we trust in God's transformational love. And mm. I think that's such a pivotal and challenging next step. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I, it's interesting. We're we're going to um we're going to talk a little bit later about some like books, podcast shows you and I recommend and I just finished. I think you've read this book, Catherine. I actually I know you've read this book, Everything Sad is Untrue. I just finished yes. it. Yes. Oh, and there's yes. this really poignant part. I don't want to give spoilers for people who haven't read it, but where he's talking about waiting, they're waiting in a, he and his family are waiting in a refugee camp in Italy. And he talks about the difference between those who are waiting with hope and those who are not. Yes. And it's so powerful. Like one is just sort of stuck in sadness and he kind of describes sadness like opium. Um, but the other is stuck in like a, a willingness to wait because they trust that hope is on the other side. And I think that's the posture here of trusting in God's transformational love. We're still stuck in this waiting, right? Like in this already not yet where we do see the brokenness and pain and chaos of this world. But either we're trusting that God is at work bringing order to the chaos mm. and bringing new life, or we're sitting here waiting, thinking like, it's all going to be destroyed in the end. So who cares? The posture of your heart is the difference there. Like you're waiting with hope or you're waiting without wow. hope. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I think we're going to ebb and flow. You know, I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to mm. feel in the midst of a tragedy, like, are you hoping, you know, do you yeah. have hope? 
you know, it's good. Make sure you're happy. It's not like there's a fairy and we need to like believe hard enough for the the magic to happen. Yeah. And I think that's why we need each other because Mm. we run out of hope and we leak Mm. and we have dark, dark days, Mm -hmm. but then we come to church or we meet with a friend or we meet with our small group and we share, go back to that sharing openly and honestly, Mm -hmm. and then we get built back up again. Sometimes we need people to carry us to Jesus. Oh, I think that's so true. Sometimes we need to rest on other people's faith. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I, I don't know how many times in my life I've borrowed someone else's faith when I didn't feel like I had, had it. And we're invited to do that. As part yes, of that's, that's how good. it works. That's how the it works. The last thing that um, they talk about is express hope through action. Hmm. It's hard to know where to begin to respond when we hear of such pain and suffering. In fact, many of the world's problems seem insurmountable. So yes. how do we begin to move a mountain? One small stone at a time. And I think this is I think this is a really good word. There are organizations out there like Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College or World Relief or some some like tried and true trustworthy organizations that are on the ground in these places where devastation is taking place, where you can give financially, you can find out what resources they need. And I think that's a way you can, you know, again, you can always write your political leaders if what you're longing for is like change over policies. Um, Those are meaningful actions. I do think it's probably not a great idea to just like drive down to Kentucky and get to work, but you can partner with the groups that Kentucky has like invited in and support what they're doing. I think that's a really meaningful way to move to move into action in order to create some hope and find some hope. Absolutely. To, to come in and serve, not as the leader who knows everything, but mm. as genuinely a servant saying, how yeah. can I help? What can I yeah. do? Yeah, that's good. We are thrilled to be joined by another author, Clarissa Mall. She's the author of a brand new book called Beyond the Darkness. It released in July. She's a podcaster. She is passionate about helping bereaved people find flourishing after their loss. Clarissa, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Clarissa, for our um, listeners who may not be familiar with you or can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Yeah. I am a mom of four. I live Hmm. in a beautiful New England town about 10 minutes from the ocean, and I love it here. Um, My husband and I were married for 17 years. He was an editor at Christianity Today, a journalist and author, and uh, he died in 2019 when he fell to his death on our family vacation. Hmm. So Hmm. certainly my life has been radically changed by that event three years ago, but God has been faithful and good and um, and my work now is a testimony, I think, to that goodness, that mm. finding the light in the darkness of grief again. Wow. 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 Well, Clarissa, your book um, that just came out a month ago is a little bit about this grief, and it's so beautiful. The cover is beautiful. The writing is beautiful. Um, what was it that brought you to the point where you said, you know, I'm not just going to live through this. I'm going to write through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when I was newly bereaved, I was mm-hmm. frantically looking for resources, something that would offer me support. And I found a lot of secular material that was really helpful and practical, but yeah. kind of denigrated my faith. I uh, hmm. didn't want to see any transformation or meaning in wow. the kind of loss I had suffered. And so I ran over to Christian literature and found 
devotional classics like C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed and Mm -hmm. Lament for a Son, so many beautiful works that were uh, all about talking about God's presence in my sorrow. But they lacked that practical help that I desperately needed to figure Mm. out how I was actually supposed to navigate my life after loss. And it was then that I thought, wow, what if if I put these two things together? What if there could be one resource where folks could get the practical help that they needed on finances and uh, mental health and physical Hmm. health after loss, questions about belongings and holidays, and they could also experience this in the context of gospel hope? does it mean to grieve with hope? Uh, and so that's what this book is all about. Oh, love that you've put this out here. What a gift for the world, um, Clarissa. I, I know one of the things that you talk about in the book is some of the lies that the world has told uh, readers about their grief. Can you unpack some of those? Because sometimes I think we don't even realize the lies that we're listening to in the midst of our grief. It's so true. You know, we live in a culture where uh, death and dying are seen as entertainment in many Mm, cases on video games, movies. Uh, We don't have a lot of face-to-face close interaction with death and dying and with grieving. And so we don't have a really good understanding of what it looks like to grieve healthily and Mm. uh, to grieve as a faithful Christian. We believe things like time heals all wounds, that Mm. um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that Mm. some losses are worse than others, that Mm. some deserve more grief than others. And so we come into our own experiences of loss with all of this cultural mythology, as it were, Mm. to kind of support us. And we find it to be severely lacking uh, because we find that the longer we go after losing a loved one, it doesn't seem like time heals the wound, Mm -hmm. that the woundedness is still there. And we say, okay, well, what do I do? How do I live if the pain doesn't go away? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and we discover that you know the the death of a friend touches us deeply in a way that maybe uh, the death of a grandparent never did. And so we yeah. wonder, oh, you know, are some losses worse than others? Are some mm-hmm. to be mourned in a different way? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think we need to unpack a lot of that as we come to our own losses, the ones that stand before us in our path, and say. What have I learned from the culture about how to do this? And what does God say about loss and lament, about Mm. sorrow, and about the hope that exists in the midst of suffering? So good. I'm really struck by what you said about the mythologies and how they don't ultimately serve us. I was talking with a friend earlier this year who was going through a period of suffering, and um, she initially came to me with uh, all the right language. And like she was like pepped up, you know, like she was ready to do this. And uh, she was like, I can't wait to see what God is going to teach me through this. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, okay. Uh, When you are on the next step of this, come back and chat with me because it's going to get harder. (laughs) Um, And and I I didn't actually say that, but um, she did come back because I I do think our narrative is that we will suffer just enough for us to see this beautiful thing that God provided to us through suffering and that it'll all be worth it then. But sometimes suffering just goes on and on painfully for a long time. Um, And then it's harder to know what to do with it. And one thing that really strikes me about your book is that it's not just, although it is also a grief observed, but you have so many practical tools. Mm-hmm. And 
I think sometimes we forget how desperately needed those practical things are. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one or two of those that really were meaningful to you or that you really want to get out there to the reader? Sure. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the myths that we carry within the church, those things of, um, you know, the Bible verses that we kind of slap mm -hmm. on to hard mm -hmm. times, we often uh, accompany those with the casseroles that we bring. Right after the loss, we show up with our casserole and we have a, a beautiful Hallmark card and we we hope that that's enough. Yeah. And um, the difficulty is that many grieving people, they lose their appetites after yeah. like, the loss of a loved one. They don't know what to do with all of that food that's coming in. Hmm. And uh, so we talk in the book about what does it mean to lean in to grief in those times where it's so deeply physical? Um, you know, how do I feed my body when my soul hmm. just feels so broken? Uh, when do I say, hey, you know, can you not bring a meal because it's too much? And what yeah. are the things that I actually need beyond the dinners and someone picking up the dry cleaning? Mm -hmm. What do I really need? I need the gift of presence. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if you're a support person who desperately wants to take care of someone who is grieving, you know, you're, you have this strong motivation. What can I do? Is there, is there yeah. something I can do? And I always tell folks, you know, the casseroles are great. The cards are great but you run out of steam giving those. Yeah. But the gift of presence is the yeah. gift that keeps on giving. Uh, it's yeah. the gift that grieving people really need. It, it's the hardest gift to give because it requires that we stick around for the long haul. Yeah. But it's yeah. the gift that brings restoration. It's the gift that brings flourishing after loss. Mm -hmm. And um, and honestly, it's something that each of us can do. You don't need to be a yeah. pro to show up. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I'm struck by the fact that you have done this grieving journey with four kids, <laughs> and I, I don't even really know what the question I'm asking is, but how have you done that? Like, what has it been like walking your, your kiddos through the loss of their father as you're in the midst of your own grief as well? Well, it's a, it's a delicate, delicate balancing act. You know, I've, yeah. I've got to care for myself and re-envision myself as the sole leader of my family, uh, make sure mm. that I take time to care for myself in the ways that I need. But also grief has galvanized our family. We we are different now. And there's there's a teamwork. There is um, a sense of tribe that we have now that is, it's really beautiful. It's been born out of pain, but uh, there's a camaraderie that we share mm. that we didn't have before. Mm. And I think wow. becoming a student of my children, like learning how they tick, how grief looks mm. like for them has been helpful for me. And uh, being transparent with them as well. Like, this is how it feels to be a mom who's lost her husband. Yeah. Um, that kind of transparency is something that we don't do a ton with our kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but I found that it has, in this season in particular, it's created a foundation for growing again together as a family. Wow, that's incredible. Clarissa, wow. where can our listeners uh, find more about you and find the book? Yeah. Come visit me on social media at Mall Clarissa. Uh, Instagram's my favorite place to hang out on social media. You can find more about my writing at clarissamall.com. And of course, my book Beyond the Darkness is available wherever you like to buy your books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> good, good places to purchase wherever you like to buy them. Clarissa <laughs> Mall, again, is the author of Beyond the Darkness. You can buy her book wherever you get your books, as she said, and you can connect with her on social media. Clarissa, thanks so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much.
So, Catherine, we just got through with a pretty serious conversation <laughs> about Christians and money and caring yeah, for the poor. We did. And so we're going to take what's going to feel like a slight left turn here and uh, celebrate the fact that someone from Illinois won the second largest Mega Millions jackpot of nearly $1.3 billion. <sighs> billion. Billion with a B. Billion. Unbelievable! A ticket that was bought in Des. Uh, do you say Des Plains or De Plains? Des Plains. I, I think. say De Plains. You say De Plains. Neither of you. Yeah. Neither of us were like born and raised in Chicago, so no. We, people, Chicagoans, let us know. Um, but uh, it was sold at the Speedway convenience store in Des Plains Ooh. or De Plains, and again, <laughs> one point three four billion dollars. Okay, Catherine, uh, this is maybe not, <laughs> this is maybe not fair because we just talked about you know we need to be giving and caring for those in need. So okay, yes. Under here, I want to get under the umbrella of. We're tithing, we're giving to the poor, we're doing all the right Christian good things with that money if we, if we were winners. What yes. are the fun things you would do? Let's talk selfish and fun. Okay, what would so you do if you won $1.34 billion? I mean, winning a billion dollars is a fairy tale. So I do feel like yeah. we can move outside for a moment <laughs> of any deep theological conversation yeah. and just go in purely fairy tale. That's what we're doing. Pure fantasy. I, Aubrey, I don't even know. I cannot wrap my mind around that number. Um, my know, husband and I, we don't have television at our house. Yeah. And yeah. so, but you know, we have Netflix and it's Hulu and the television. internet. Yeah. Um, but we never just kind of sit down and find out what's happening because we turn the TV on. But over the weekend, my husband and I were staying at a hotel and we turned on the TV because we love doing that at a hotel because we don't get to, you know, yeah. so like... And all of the headlines were, you know, second largest Mega Millions jackpot sold in Chicago, $1.3 billion. And of course, of course, we initially misunderstood that as 1.3 million and we're like wow someone won a million dollars and then we're like wait what <laughs> a billion i mean a fairy tale world right yes. um i well, guess your fairy I mean, tale i would pay off my house mm -hmm. yep. i would i would buy myself a second house somewhere no oh okay you know what i'm gonna buy two second houses for okay myself. let's hear let's hear where the first one is going to be like a cabin, but okay. of course fancy because I'm a billionaire. Yes. A cabin near a remote lake. Oh, I can buy the whole lake. You can buy I'm the whole buy lake. I'm going to buy a lake, <laughs> a remote lake in the North Woods because That's I was going to say yeah. I need it to be both rustic, but also no one else is on the lake. Yeah. And I realize I can, I can have the whole lake. You can have rustic and private yeah. or not rustic and private. Yeah. But then I'm also going to need like a second home, probably like in Arizona or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, someplace warm and dry where I can go when the humidity or mm -hmm. the cold of Chicago is getting me down. Yep. Um, probably make sure that my parents and my in-laws are settled and taken yep, care of. My, my kids can go to college, college. and school and Are you oh. buying an airplane to go to said houses? Oh, now again, we're in fantasy land. So like, don't worry about fuel emissions. Like, let's say environmentally, <laughs> it's all good. Like, are you buying your own 
jet situation. I mean, honestly, that just feels like a lot of work to me. But yeah. yeah. Right. 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 Because, you know, I live actually not too far from the DuPage County Airport. And if it's my own plane, you just I, drive just, I don't you have to do O'Hare. I don't have to deal with Midway. I just, yeah. you know, take mm-hmm. a little stroll down to my airplane. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you doing any world travel? Because you stuck with Arizona in the, in the like, uh, North you know, Pacific or wherever you You stuck in North, the state. The North yeah. Woods. Yes. Sorry, you know, North. I'm just realizing I'm going to need... A third second house? Yeah, I think you are too. In in, in Italy. Yeah, for I sure. I agree with that. That's why I was and asking. And yes, my whole family <laughs> is going to go on a trip around the world. Okay, okay. At least I like once. This. I like I want to see everything. Yeah, you've got to okay, see everything. I'm, I'm kind of into this now. I don't I really understand how I'm going to live without a billion dollars now. <laughs> hard part. This is the hard part about, about the... So where I'm torn, okay, if I win the billion, I'm torn if... I don't have to be torn. I have a billion dollars. No. Okay, you got okay, it I'm not all. no longer torn. So no torn. one thing I am doing, I like my house now, but I need, there are mm-hmm. major improvements to be made. I need all new carpeting. I need to rip out my kitchen okay. and bathrooms. I need a, a fireplace that we have an awesome fireplace, but it only runs super hot. So I want to get oh. like these little things that have driven me crazy about my house forever. Like they're all getting, yes. I'm getting new furniture, a designer's coming in to help me. Like all that yep. is going to be, okay. but because it's going to be like HGTV. Yes. It's going to be like that. And like, like the front's going to look all nice. And like the lawn's going to, I'm going to get a lawn person too. Cause I do not like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Then I'm definitely also getting, a, you know, a, I, I know this won't be up everyone's alley, but people who've listened to the show enough know, like I'm definitely getting a Disney world vacation home. Oh and yeah, you are. I, you know, it's just going to be like a second residence for me. And then I mm-hmm. also feel like I do need a, I'm not a lake gal, but maybe on the beach, like on the white sands beach of, I mean, Florida or Hawaii for that matter, since I'm a billionaire. Or both. But yeah. They're like, go on vacations, but also I could just go right there and like listen to the ocean oh. and like that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I feel like a lot of travel, a lot of homes, I'd get a new car. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a couple new cars. I mean, a new car is just going to be like, I bought a bag of pretzels. Like, I bought a car. You're right. It's so hard for me to fathom, like, what a billion dollars is and how, like, can you spend it? Can you actually spend a billion dollars? I mean, I do. I am actually really struggling to stay in this fairy tale world because I keep wanting to be like, are you aware of the consumption habits and how it impacts the, <laughs> and right, actually I'm going to have hired like a consultant that can show me how right. I can use this money I, in the best possible way without doing more harm. I know it's safe. Like have a, and, and like what investments will I make and who will exactly. I know? It, it's getting too realistic. So let's move on. Okay. So that was well, fun. Go ahead, Catherine. I just want to stay in the fairy tale for one second. Okay. You know how, when you get wishes, the best thing to do is to say like infinite wishes. <laughs> right. Right. If I'm going to win a billion dollars. Yes. Or you're going to win a billion dollars. Yes. I would rather we both win a billion dollars oh, because sure. we're BFFs, right? Yeah. So you can come and stay at my lake house okay, and yeah. I can come and stay at your beach house. I like and this. We could like you divide know, and conquer we can the share. things that we need. Okay. Yeah. I like it. 
See, then okay. we're not as greedy. We're sharing no, our billions. Right. We're, <laughs> we're sharing. Yeah, so that that makes it better. All right, it really well, does. If you can think of some things you would want to purchase, just think fantasy, just think fairy tale. If you were the winner of the Melga Millions, let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. Uh, Catherine, I'm going to say one word to you. This is okay. going to be like a word association game. I'm going to say okay. one word to you, and I want to know what you think. Okay, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Slap. You just got slapped across the face, my friend. You just got slapped. Yes, that really just happened. Oh, uh, you know, what comes to mind is uh, the whole debacle with Will Smith and... Hey! Uh, do I win? <laughs> you win. Yeah, I think Ooh. I think now you just say you just say the slap and everyone the slap. around the world knows what you're talking about. That is several months ago at uh was it the it was the Academy Awards. Will Smith walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock across the face after Chris Rock made a joke at the expense of Will Smith's wife jada pinkett smith of course it became i think it became like it broke the internet like it, it became did the most break the internet downloaded like clip ever in record time and then of course so many conversations and controversies opinions surrounding the slap and will smith for a time kind of checked out of social media and the public but mm-hmm. he just came back over the weekend with a video apology and I want us to take a listen to part of it and then you and I are going to talk about that so okay. let's take a listen Chris I apologize to you uh, my behavior was unacceptable and I'm here whenever you're ready to talk um, I, I want to apologize to Chris's mother. I saw an interview that Chris's mother did. And, you know, that was one of the things about that moment. I just didn't realize and, you know, I wasn't thinking, but how many people got hurt in that moment. So I want to uh, apologize to Chris's mother. I want to apologize to uh, Chris's family, uh, specifically Tony Rock. You know, we had a great relationship, you know, Tony Rock was my man um and uh this this is this is probably irreparable um i spent the last three months um replaying and understanding the nuances and and the complexities of what happened in in that moment um and i'm not going to try to unpack all of that right now But I can say to all of you, there is no part of me that thinks that was the right way to behave in that moment. There's no part of me that thinks that's the optimal way to handle a feeling of disrespect or or insults. All right, Catherine. So I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised because I one of my pet peeves is a non-apology apology, Ugh, right? And this was not that. He straight up apologized. He really did. You know, when you told me that 
he had there was a video and he had mm-hmm. apologized. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Because I'm so used to, especially people with platform and some reputation to uphold. Mm-hmm. Although, to be honest, I see this in everyday life as well. Um, the big apology, if it comes, is... I'm sorry you felt that way. Yeah, you know, t- and totally, totally. even if it starts out good, uh, it kind of winds up into. And in conclusion, I'm totally innocent, but yes. my PR person says I have to say these things. <laughs> so <laughs> but, accurate, right? But this, right he, mm-hmm. he was. Uh, I know that our listeners can't watch the video, but he's making sustained eye contact with eye contact with the camera. Mm-hmm. He's using I language, like I apologize to you. Mm-hmm. This behavior, my behavior was mm-hmm. unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the kind of words that you use when you have done the work to own your stuff yeah. and you are actually taking steps to humble yourself mm-hmm. and make it right. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. I appreciated that he apologized even to the surrounding family members, mm-hmm. his own and the Rock family. Like he, there, it seems like there was not a stone that he left unturned. I'll be very curious if there was a response from Chris Rock because ultimately, yes. as the victim of this, you know, I think it matters what he thinks and how he responds. Does he right. feel like this was sincere? But as far as like celebrity apologies go. This was a masterclass. I mean, it seems like you said, like he did the work. There was sincerity there. I also appreciated the video itself if you watch it. And maybe there are different versions of the video out there. But the one that I watched, it was not overly produced. I mean, he was in a studio, Mm -hmm. but like it Mm -hmm. wasn't glossy. It wasn't shiny. Like it just felt very sort of authentic. And I, I think all of those things were a really good move on Will Smith's part. Yes. You know, Aubrey, there's a lot of accusations that fly, um, especially for people with platforms. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of responses that those people give. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times th- we gauge whether they're genuine or not based on how much we like the person. <laughs> um, true. But there are experts in, um, you know, psychologists, experts in trauma and Mm -hmm. in abuse who have said to us, you know, someone who has actually done the work to own the mistake is going to say and do and focus on certain things. And someone who is really just trying to uh, get out of jail free are going to say and do other things. And I think it's important that we are aware of that and not just, not just let people off the hook. If they say, I'm sorry, you felt that way. Right. Right. Um, but look for this kind of genuine repentance. Mm-hmm. And of course, we don't know what's in his heart. But I think most people don't do the work to get yeah. to that place of being able to make eye contact and say, my mm-hmm. behavior was inappropriate, unless they have at least a desire mm-hmm. to be to find genuine repentance. Yeah, it felt like it felt like Will Smith had done the work. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt. Mm-hmm. He's done the hard yep. work of of learning, you know, what what he needed to do to make amends here and it, that was that was really good. I think yep. like if okay, lessons for all of us go back Whew. to kind of what you've talked about Catherine uh when you need to apologize, not like a good apology is never I'm sorry you got hurt. That's not uh-huh. an apology because that's blaming the other person. Yep. It is what he's done here, looking the person in the eye saying, I was wrong when mm-hmm. I did this. Yes. My, like you take ownership, you look the person in the eye, and you don't do any sort of excusing or blaming. Right. 
Um, I think that's this a really good apology. And, you know, that's not just a skill that celebrities need to have. You know, we need it in our friendships. We need yeah. it in our own professional relationships. We need it in our families. Mm -hmm. um, how many, how many uh, marriage therapists would be out of a, out of a job <laughs> if we knew how to listen? Yeah. Not get triggered or defensive when someone mm -hmm. is saying, I think you did something that was wrong and it hurt mm -hmm. me and here's the impact instead yeah. of being like, no, 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 I didn't mean it that way right. to be like, Oh, this is new information for me, but I'm going to mm -hmm. sit with it. I'm going to reflect. Mm -hmm. I'm going to realize my behavior harmed you. And I'm going to mm -hmm. look you in the eye and say, I apologize. I am so sorry that X I Whew. did X, Y, Z. Yeah, you're right. How many marriage therapists and other therapists would be out of business? Well, Those I am very, skills. very curious <laughs> to see if Chris Rock responds. So maybe we'll talk about that later on this week. All right. All right, Catherine, we're going to dive into a conversation about things that we struggle with Whew. that sometimes maybe we feel like Jesus doesn't understand. Right. Okay. God doesn't understand. I'll say what well, I'll be very vulnerable with you. Okay. 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 I don't want to offend anybody because scripture talks about how we have a great high priest who understands our struggles. Right. So mm -hmm. I want to be clear that mm -hmm. I, I know in my head and I know theologically that God understands struggles, but sometimes I'm like, but Jesus was never married and doesn't understand marriage problems. Ooh. Yeah. I feel that way. Although, okay, can you say, yes, God is married to the church, does understand marriage problems more than any of us? Yes, 100%. But in the day-to-day, -day, so that's, that's something that I sometimes wonder, like, is that relatable? I know it is, but in my... In my weaker moments, yeah, yeah, I struggle with that. Do you have anything you struggle with that you're kind of like, I don't know if yeah. Jesus could have related to this? You know, I don't think I spend a lot of time thinking about this, yeah. but um, I was, in addition to being an author, I'm also an editor, and I was mm -hmm. editing a piece that someone else had written about Jesus being able to relate to us, um, but she was writing as a woman, and she was listing really common struggles and problems that women have, mm. including infertility, um, mm struggling after childbirth and she didn't actually make the connection that Jesus didn't actually have any of those experiences, but yeah. I, it was weighing on me, you know, like mm. as an editor, how do I bridge this theological truth? And then these examples that, that they need a bridge, you know, because yeah. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was tired. Jesus mm -hmm. was rejected. Mm -hmm. Jesus was betrayed, but mm -hmm. He didn't experience some of the very yeah. biological things that yeah. women experience and kind of the social impact that those have. So, yeah. you know, I don't spend a lot of time kind of like waving my fist at God. No. Why have you not incarnated as a woman so you can right. understand me? Right. Um, but it, it did kind of it did kind of make me think. But, you know, I, God is God. You know, yes. I think that he steps into our lives into each of our lives and can experience our lives as we do, you Absolutely. know, so I, I don't actually have any theological or even emotional concern about God's ability to relate yeah. to yeah. me because, yeah. you know, he's our parent. And yes. remember holding your little baby that was screaming, like, did you ever have a blue rattle fly out of your hand? Maybe not. Maybe it was a pink rattle. You know right. what I mean? But, right. but we know the pain that the baby is having Absolutely. and, and we, we wrap the baby in our arms. And yeah. so 
that's my long-winded uh, disclaimer for, I don't think that Jesus had every single life experience that I had, but I have no doubt that God is a God who knows what it's like to be human. That's right. That's exactly right, Catherine. That's such a, that's such a good way to wrap. Not, we're not even wrapping it up, but a good <laughs> way to even start it. A good way to relevant the conversation we're about to have. So uh, over at Relevant Magazine, Shane Pruitt is writing about seven relatable struggles that Jesus can identify with. Yes. Uh, so he says, you know, what? sometimes when some of us are thinking Jesus couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through right now, he never had to experience what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. He's talking about, well, here are the things that Jesus, as a, a fully God and fully human, can understand and does understand. The first thing is that Jesus knew what it was like to experience poverty. Mm-hmm. Living paycheck can be a real struggle for anyone. All of us right now, I think, feel the pinch of the, the paycheck with the inflation and the gas prices. Surely God can't understand what it's like to go through sleep hungry and cold, can he? I'm reading from this article. Yeah. Shane answers, well, Jesus, the son of God, knew exactly what it was like to be poor. After all, he was homeless. So he can identify with those who do without foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's quoting from the book of Luke there. Yes. That goes back to what we were talking about last hour. You know, I think we forget that God chose to come as a poor person. Mm, Um, And would we, would we even know Jesus if he came today? Mm. I think that's really good to remember. Well, another thing that this article says that I love is that Jesus knew what it was like to experience exhaustion. Mm. Um, There are so many places in the gospels where you can just tell Jesus is fed up. He needs to get away. (laughs) He needs to go. Um, I was actually just writing about a passage, I think in Mark, where uh, it says that Jesus is trying to find like the city is too, the town is too crowded because they're waiting for him to show up. So he goes into the countryside and even there they find him. And Uh, oh, I know as parents who have jobs we can really relate to that Uh, even though there aren't crowds following me everywhere I go but Jesus knows what it's like to be tired I I love those moments in the gospel because I especially as an introvert I'm like this is so relatable like you're (laughs) like I just need a minute just give me a minute away from everybody please again not that crowds are following us around but (laughs) that, that need to get away is so relatable uh-huh. Um, the article go- also goes on to say that Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. Of course, Jesus mm-hmm. is well acquainted with the pain of betrayal. Yes. Not only was he betrayed by jealous religious leaders, but also those close to him and even his own family. So mm. I think for any of us, if you've been betrayed by a friend, betrayed by a family member, betrayed by someone you trusted, even if you feel betrayed by like a hero, someone you follow on social media knowing that Jesus knows exactly what that's like in yes. such a personal, profound way. It, yeah. That's, of course, something that we can all, he can relate to something we go through. Yes. Uh, the next thing that the article pulls out, I think, is one of my favorite things about Christianity. And it's that Jesus knew what it was like to suffer grief. Mm. And just the idea that God, God chose to come and be with us in grief. Yeah. Uh, that's that is life changing, universe expanding. Um, we've seen him weep over Jerusalem. We saw him yeah. weep at the death of a friend, yeah. and this is God we're talking about yeah. weeping over our daily pain and mm-hmm. feeling it, feeling it too. 
I think that's that's a game changer. That changes everything. You're right. That does change everything. Um, This article goes on to say that Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. Maybe you can accept that Jesus knew Mm. grief and exhaustion, but when it comes to finding temptation, surely Jesus cannot relate. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that nothing could be further from the truth. Although Jesus never committed a sin, he was still tempted. I think this one is hard to wrap your mind around because you think about Jesus being sinless. Yeah. And it can be easy to equate temptation with sin. Like you kind of think, well, surely he didn't. He wasn't even tempted towards sin. But um, to think about the fact that Jesus was tempted but was not overcome is is really – um, I don't, that's just interesting to me the way we even like define sin and temptation. But I it's agree. helpful to know that like you're not alone when you feel tempted, right? You know, I I tend to go into a little bit of theology on this yeah. show when probably you don't want me to, but I was thinking that too. So I'm glad you said it. Like it it almost makes us even want to relook at how we define sin I and temptation. So. I was just mm-hmm. I think it it absolutely does. Um, The last two, Jesus knew what it was like to experience suffering and Jesus knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God. Do you want to take one of those, Catherine? Oh, well, uh, the suffering is so close to what I was just saying. Um, Mm. To have a sovereign God who suffers with us, who suffers even on his own when he came to be near us, that that is where that is foundational to Christianity. And that is something to... Praise God for, oddly enough, that he knows our suffering. Yeah, that's good. This last one, Jesus knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God. I think what's interesting about that is that we need to emphasize feel forsaken by God. Mm -hmm. Because though Jesus does cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we know is that Jesus did not, God did not forsake Jesus. Like because the two are one, this is where we get into like Trinitarian theology. Because the two are one, they actually could not ever be separate. Like God, the father could never forsake Jesus, the son. But certainly the pain of the cross made Jesus feel that way. And so that's good news for us when we feel like God may have left us. We're not sensing his presence. We feel like he's forsaken us. That's actually a lie. Like if you are united to God through Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you cannot be forsaken by God. And so you can take courage in those seasons when it feels like God might be far away. He's actually closer than you think. So um, when Catherine's on, one of my favorite things to do is to read Catherine, her own tweets. And (laughs) this one is interesting because she's asking a question, but I think it's really, really worth unpacking. And you got a lot of responses to this on social media. So here's, I'm going to read you what you asked people, Catherine, and then maybe you can kind of give us the background of it. Okay, doke. Okay. So you say, women... Will you? Sh- I just have to say, I love that you you address this to women, and you ha- did have a couple guys come on. And I did, but you is- know, we haven't even asked the question yeah, yet. Asked I do have yet. to say, the men who responded did so appropriately. They weren't yes. mansplaining. Yes. Um, I, they were they were contributing in a helpful way. I would yeah, say that's true. You're right. Okay, so here's what it says: women. Will you share common phrases you hear about our bodies or selves that, quote, keep us in our place, unquote? I would specifically love phrases used at church, though they don't need to be, quote, Christian-y. Think, quote, women are emotional or, quote, women shall be saved through childbearing. Thanks. All right. So give us, Catherine, some background on why you why you asked that question on Twitter. Yeah, well, I have been uh, working, doing some research for a couple different projects, actually, on the perception. 
You already know I'm a super nerd, right? Everybody knows that. We're okay with that. With we me, love you. I hope. We okay, you. thank yeah. you. Um, the perception that society has about women's bodies, how that impacts the ability for women to kind of function in society. But because I'm a Christian and an MDiv student, specifically how it impacts our ability to function in the church. Yeah. So having done all kind, I mean, read the biggest stack of books you can't even believe from dating back just centuries, I wanted to see what just my friends on Twitter, what their experience was. And so I threw this out there and you know, you know how Twitter is. You'll say the silliest thing and a thousand people will like it and you'll right. say something really beautiful and profound and no one will ever see it. So right. <laughs> it's so hard to know, but uh, this just kind of blew up and um, I had so many responses. I was, and I wanted to respond to everyone. I haven't quite managed, but people were vulnerably, women were vulnerably sharing their experiences and the things that have been said to them, not just kind of common phrases that you hear, but things that people have said to them specifically that demeans their body and therefore demeans their ability to kind of function in society. So yeah, it was, it was really, I you felt got, honored to listen. Yeah. You, there, a lot of people showed up, Catherine, can you share some of the things that uh, people said? Sure, man, there, again, there's just dozens, hundreds probably of responses. Um, a lot of them were sort of the ones that you would maybe expect um, commenting about, you know, women are too thin or women are too fat, you know, or mm -hmm. women are too, uh, have a Jezebel attitude. You know, they put mm, themselves out there too much yeah. or they don't put themselves out there enough. Yeah. Um, a lot about um, how women dress. Uh, but then there were some really unique ones like, um, somebody shared that they were given bobby pins for Christmas by a church member um, because that member was complaining that they never got to see her face. Oh. Uh, and that's, you know, it's just funny. The things that we feel comfortable wow. saying. Wow. Uh, yeah. A lot of people unpacking the phrase weaker vessel and mm. how that's been used in context or out of context to demean them. So mm. I don't know. What did you, what stood out for you as you were reading through it? I'm still kind of in the weeds of it myself. I, the one that uh, one that stood out to me because I used to hear this. I have not. I, I'll be honest. I haven't heard this in a couple decades. But when I was very early on, like preaching and teaching, uh, lots of people around me saying women can't teach men; they can only teach children and other women, mm -hmm. or that a woman will be distracting to men, and that's yes. why she can't preach. And mm -hmm. you know, it's just funny thinking back on that now, like. I mean, some of those messages you accept without even thinking about it, to be honest. But it's like, why is that the woman's problem and not the man's problem? Yeah. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, wait, right. I'm distracting you. Therefore, I can't preach or teach. Maybe you have an issue, bro, if you right. can't be distracted. Like, I mean, I, I'm being a little facetious here, but I also mean that. Like, Absolutely. and also why are why do men get to sort of be the like <laughs> the standard? Like, well, what if I'm distracted by right. men who are teaching? Why do, uh, are, can we make some changes about that men? Okay. You can only teach children and <laughs> you can only teach children and other men because I'm distracted. Like why do right. they get to be sort of the ruler? I think, but you know, by which everything yes. else is measured. I, I can remember this, you know, you can teach being told I could teach, uh, and I know lots of women have told this, like up to high school, 
And mm-hmm. I just always occurred to me like, well, what? Okay, what's the deal at age 18 that suddenly they can't hear anymore? Like, right. why? Okay, suddenly they're 19 years old and they're headed to college and like, no longer can they learn from a woman? What like massive maturity has happened in their life that they know I they no longer can listen to an adult of any kind? I, I don't know. That was, was always just so baffling to me and right. not in the Bible. Like that's really part I'm like, Absolutely. nowhere does God tell me I can only preach to women and children. I don't understand Absolutely. this. But um, anyway, so that one stood out for me. I think you kind of referenced this, but this, the whole stumbling block, your stumbling mm-hmm. block. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not sure why that's, that feels like a male problem in less of like the person standing on stage's problem, the audience's problem. A right, bit. right, right. Um, and a problem may even be too strong of a word. Like why? Uh, anyway, this, I, I'm going to take us off on too many <laughs> yeah. tangents. We could That's go a, pretty far yeah, with this one, so, but maybe over coffee later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not on the air. <laughs> so anyway, Catherine, I mean, we could just keep on, but lots of people talking about not making men stumble, not being a stumbling block, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, I think that Jezebel one is interesting. I I have some friends in the Pentecostal church and I never knew that phrase. Like you're such a Jez, you have a Jezebel spirit. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, it was me who finally said to them, like, that sounds like they're using scripture in a really sexist way. And I'm not sure that that's okay. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So Catherine, what do you, like, if you were going to wrap all of this up. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to say what's the lesson, but like, what do we, <laughs> what do, we do going yeah. forward? Well, I, a lot of, again, you got hundreds of responses here. So this is a felt need. Like women are yes. feeling something here. Well, and I think that's the key. I think you hit right on it and even how you phrased the question. And we didn't plan that, but I actually retweeted myself later in the day and I said, okay, men, I I address my question to women, but I hope you're listening because Mm. as a woman, I, of course, I didn't fit all this into a tweet, but I am blown away by the stories that are being shared with me here, but also I'm not blown away isn't the right phrase because I can relate to literally every single one of them. And it's clear that all the women on the thread can relate to all of this. Mm -hmm. We are hearing these things in small ways, subtle ways, but also in big, loud, platformed, official ways, literally every day. And I think it's important that we listen to each other and that also that men are listening to our experience because they're not having that experience. They're having other experiences, but I think we need to then work together to make sure that women are not having to be demeaned as they yeah. go about their daily life, whether That's it's right, just in society, but especially in the church where, mm. um, again, my research has brought me to this place where I'm blown away by yeah. the brotherhood and sisterhood of the early church that truly became this oasis of a safe place for women to serve God, to be fully human, and just how much we've eroded that over time. Yeah, yeah, it's a um kind of a sobering word and something that we we all need to take a take a new fresh look at mm-hmm. and see if we can mm-hmm. do better. It is the end of the show on Monday evening and at the end of the Ooh. show we love to do something that'll uh, either challenge you or inspire you or put a smile on your face. I kind of hope this does all three. We'll see. That might be a big call for us, Catherine, but I think we can do it. We can do it. Okay. So here's what I was inspired by. New York Times uh, put together a 
a list of podcast recommendations. I don't even, you know, you can go over those if you want to on your own time. Just look up, you know, New York Times podcast uh-huh. recommendations. But it got me thinking, okay, if Catherine and I were going to recommend any books, podcasts, shows that we're into right now, what would they be? So I want to start there. I actually want to do this in two categories. First is going to be shows, books, podcasts, movies. So kind of like things we consume, I guess we could put it in that category, Mm -hmm. Um, entertainment wise. But then I I want to have another conversation later that's about things we recommend that isn't a show, movie, or podcast. So let's start with the first category. What are you reading, watching, listening to that you're into right now? Well, I'm not reading this right now because I picked this book up and I couldn't put it down until I had finished it. I think I literally read it in two sittings and I have probably talked about this, maybe even on this show before, but the book is called Piranesi. I knew you were going to say it. Yes. It's one of the most gorgeous books I've read Mm -hmm. in a long time. Mm -hmm. It's one of those books that now that I've finished it, I feel despondent because no, no other book will compare. Okay, can I ask you a question? This is a follow-up question about okay. this. Do you get books like that from the library or do you buy them? Okay, I actually have a very, <laughs> very worked out strategy. Yeah, I think this is important to know. I read books from the library mm-hmm. and if I love them, mm-hmm. then buy them. I buy them. Yep. I do that. And I add them to my collection, kind of like Ariel the Mermaid, you know, like this is my collection. (laughs) Yes. But then I also love to, the reason why, the real reason why I buy them once I love them is so that I can lend them out because I just, I, as you know, Aubrey, because you know me in real life, I'm always like, do you have a problem? Here is a book. Let me (laughs) offer you this book. (laughs) So did you buy Paranisi? I actually have not bought it yet but you but, will you think oh i will okay. oh yeah it is gorgeous okay i have it it's on hold at the, at the library for me oh. but i haven't yet i haven't well, you know yet what gotten. i could solve that problem for you by buying it <laughs> and lending it to you it? that would be I, helpful for me I, I might have to okay the book i'm gonna recommend i've already mentioned one time in the show but i finally just finished it and that is Everything Sad is Untrue by mm-hmm. Daniel Nayiri. I'm sure I'm not saying his last name right. But here's – it's a story about a refugee child. But why I'm personally recommending it is, one, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a masterfully It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's set in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is where I grew up. And so right. every shop, every store, the library, like things he mentioned, I was like, unbelievable. And he pinned Edmond, Oklahoma pretty clearly. Yeah. So it was, uh, it, that was a little bit of a wild experience for me to, to be reading a, cause I haven't read any books based in my own hometown, but then to hear a refugee experience and he wrote it from the, like kind of the advantage of him as a kid. It was a fantastic book. Everything sad yes. is untrue. Highly recommend that. Well, um, okay, great. Catherine, what about, uh, like podcaster shows? Okay, I have to confess, I am not a good podcast listener. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I just am not. I'll get into a podcast maybe once a year. Yeah. I definitely listen to every single word of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah, but that's really kind of been the last. Um, I also really enjoyed. Uh, let's see, it was called Jesus and J- no Jane and Jesus with Karen oh, Swallow Prayer. Oh, Karen Swallow Prayer. Yeah, she's been on the I show. I really enjoyed that, that as well. Podcast. I bet she mm-hmm. has been. But mm-hmm. other than that, I'm in a dry season with podcasts. Yeah. So I, what I, do you have? 
I actually don't listen to podcasts either. <laughs> I, I, and I feel like I'm just repeating. You're you. a radio I, gal. I know. I did listen to all of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which I love. <laughs> um, I started to listen to uh, Gangster. What is it called? Gangster Millionaire. That's probably not even the right name. Where they did, they did, it was sort of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, but they did um, Jerry Falwell Jr. story. Oh yes. But then I just got a little bit too. I like, started listening to that yeah, too. I got kind of sickened by it, to be honest. And there were so much yep. of those types of stories in the news that I stopped listening. That exact thing and happened so, to me. I mean, you know, I'm part of the common good podcast, of course. The Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Yeah. But I, don't, I don't have a lot of time in my life to listen to podcasts or I should say when I do I'm watching Netflix instead so let's move on to <laughs> okay let's move on to what we're watching anything good you're watching that you would recommend right now well now here I can say a hearty yes um <laughs> I am glued to the edge of my chair watching this show for all mankind oh which is okay. on apple plus about that. I haven't watched it yet but I've heard yes uh mm-hmm. it is I adore it and it's the third season is out right now. And I'm okay. in that awkward situation where I will watch an episode and then I have to wait a no, week. No, 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 no. I don't like one. that. Yeah, no, I don't like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Are you watching anything else or is that your big recommendation? Um, well, I also, before kind of coinciding with that one, I just love Apple Plus, by the way. I think they're the best. No one has paid me to say this, but they come up with great <laughs> shows. But before season three of For All Mankind came out, I watched Severance. Oh, that's a good show. Which I, it was a little too creepy for me. Yeah, I was very creepy. tense. My husband and I would like sit down in the evening and be like, okay, we hate this show, but we have to get to the end. But <laughs> then we'd go watching. to bed at like two o'clock in the morning because we couldn't stop watching. Yeah. And now I want to start over and see it again. It was incredible. Yeah, that was such, such a good show. I really okay, like that one. How about you? Okay. I, you know... This is unfortunately not going to be very relatable to all of our audience members, but I hope some of you will will be excited about this. All I'm watching right now is Korean dramas. And uh, I knew you were going to say that. It has become a joke in my house. Like my husband will be like, can we please watch English television? And Mm-mm. I'm like, okay, I, we did. We started a show on, uh, we started a show on Apple Plus actually called Surface, but I don't know if we'll keep watching. It's a little bit dark. We'll see. But I, I just binged a show called Startup. K drama, okay. a show called Our Beautiful Summer. K drama, I would highly recommend them both. They are both very binge worthy, very good. Uh, rom coms, if you like that kind of thing, which I do. And then Kevin right now and I are watching. He actually decided to join me instead of fighting me. He's going to join me. We're watching <laughs> more of a historical K drama called Mr. Sunshine, which moves slowly. I-, I confess, but if you are interested in like the history of. Korea and the Japanese occupation and where America was it's it's kind of a dramatic fictional story set within that history Hmm. and Mm -hmm. so it's interesting so that yes I am all about I am all about Korean television right now they make they have great actors great writing they make very good television uh coming out of uh, out of South Korea so I'm thankful for the I'm thankful for k-dramas on Netflix Okay. okay Catherine let's move on to our next our next little topic here, we have another minute or so. What is one thing you would recommend that is not a show, movie, or podcast? Okay, well, this is, I don't know if this is for everyone, but as you know, I'm currently obsessed with Skechers slip on tennis shoes. <laughs> That's right. I do know this about you. Yeah. 
I do recommend them to everyone. They are as comfortable and supportive as a tennis shoe, but you can slip them on. You don't have to lace them up and unlace them. That is and a pain. I think they're really cute too. Okay. Okay. This is, you have been on the search for a while for the perfect. I have. I bought ones. like four and then returned them because I found <laughs> another one that I like better. I love it. Okay. Yeah. I am going to recommend, um, Catherine, you actually know this about me. I'm going to recommend, uh, skinny. I know this is going to sound funny. Skinny coffee syrup. That's the brand. <laughs> it's sugar-free coffee syrup. And if you go to TJ Maxx, they have butterscotch, cinnamon roll, vanilla, uh, caramel, um, ice cream sundae. Like they have all these flavors. And so if you like a flavored sweet coffee, but you don't like the calories and mm-hmm. you don't like how the dairy creamer can kind of make your stomach mm-hmm. feel yucky sometimes, mm-hmm. I'm going to highly recommend it. And especially from TJ Maxx, because the price is really good. All right. So those are things that Aubrey and Catherine recommend. We'll have to see if this continues to be an ongoing segment when you return. If people like our endorsements or not, we'll find out. (laughs) Uh, And we will be back again tomorrow. Catherine will be here with me from 4 to 6 p.m. So Catherine, looking forward to that. I can't wait. And for Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.